1 Kings 19, we have Elijah. He has seen that great victory up on Mount Carmel. But sometimes it's a short trip from victory to defeat. And so he gets a letter from Jezebel, and she threatens him, and he runs, flees for his life. You know about the Lord comes, the angel of the Lord comes and feeds him, and he heads up the, find, uh, to the mountaintop and gets in the cave, and the Lord comes by, and God is speaking to him. And I want us to look at a little bit of the conversation. In verse number 13, and it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. I'm going to pray, and then I want to just preach to you for a moment on this subject. He's 7,000 times better than I thought he was. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. I pray you'll help us now in the next few moments. Give us physical strength and spiritual strength to say what needs to be said and help your people and get glory unto yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Elijah in this passage. Perhaps if I were in the same circumstance that Elijah was in, I might have said the same thing that Elijah said. Perhaps if Jezebel were on my trail threatening my life, I might feel just exactly the way Elijah felt. Perhaps if I'd been through the battle that Elijah had been through and be physically wearied from that battle, I might feel like Elijah felt. I might be in what some preachers have called the state of depression that Elijah is in now. I might be just like him. I might have said just exactly what he said. I don't know. I've never been in that situation and been in that particular circumstance. But he says an interesting thing. He says this, and this little two-word phrase is going to be said twice at least in this passage or by two different people. He'll say in verse 14, I have, I have. 
Elijah is zeroed in on what he has done and what he is facing and what is going on around him in the circumstance. And so Elijah has taken his world and narrowed it down simply to himself. It's just all Elijah. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm facing. This is what I've done. This is what's been my hope. This is what it's all about. His world, one fellow said this. He said, when you reduce your world to yourself, your world gets mighty small. And so all of a sudden, Elijah's life is centered around himself. But I want you to notice that someone else will use this same phraseology in our passage in verse number 18. God says, I have. Elijah said, I have. God said, no, you shouldn't be looking at what you have. You should be looking at what I have. You should look at this from a different point of view, the work of God. When you make, here's what happens. When we make much of ourselves, we end up not making much of God. When life becomes about us and God's necessity for us, we forget about our necessity for him. I wrote down in my notes, poor little God. All he has is Elijah. Poor little God, all his only hope is this man Elijah. But I want to say to you, God's better than that. God's bigger than that. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw off on Elijah. I'm just saying that God is better than what Elijah thinks that he is. Elijah said, I'll tell you, there's just one. God said, multiply that by 7,000, and then you'll know what you really have going on. It would be good if you and I would learn how to multiply God into our circumstance and into our situation. We would find out we have much more going for us than what we thought we had. God is better here than what Elijah has in mind. He's not minutely better. He's not meagerly better. He's not marginally better. He is multiplied better. He's just not a little better. He's a whole lot better. God is much better and much bigger and much stronger than you and I think that he is, and he can accomplish much more than you and I believe that he can. So I want to talk to you about that for a moment. I want to say three things from this passage. I don't, at least I'm hoping it won't take me very long. I want to say to you, when Elijah said, uh, said I have, God said this. He said, I, I like this little phrase, I have left me. I have left me. Here's what he said, verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. Now, Paul will expound upon that over in the book of Romans. He'll talk to us about it in Romans 11. He'll say this. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now, when I read this phrase that God tells us in verse 18, here is my thought. His work is much more personal than I think that it is. It is much more personal than I think. There are 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. How does God know that? Because God has seen every one of their knees. He has watched every action that they have made. The Bible said their mouth has not kissed him. Apparently God's been paying attention to what they say and where they go and what they do. I want to remind you that God is a personal God. He has worked. When he said, I have reserved to myself. Now, I won't go in 
to what I might think or you might think are all the uh, intricacies of God doing this. That's a sermon for another day. But the point is that God must be working if he knows that there are 7,000 who have never bowed the knee and 7,000 who have never kissed the hand. Then God has been personally taking into account the lives of every one of those 7,000. And I want to tell you, God is a personal God, much more personal sometimes than we give him credit for. When, when we read a little bit later about it in verse in these verses 16 and 17 and 18 he'll talk about Haziel the king of Syria Jehu he'll talk about Elisha now think about that we have three men God said, here's what I want you to do, Elijah. These three men are no doubt part of that 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And God said, I want you to go down, Elijah, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. I want you to anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. I want you to anoint Elisha to be a prophet in thy room. If you study these men, they are all different. All of them have different personalities. One writer I read called Jehu, Jehu the rude, a rude man. He wouldn't be our hero probably if we'd look at him but God knew what Jehu was like and God knew what Hazael was like and God knew what Elijah was like each one of them was different and the reason that God chose them is because in each one of their lives they had certain qualities that God wanted at that time to accomplish that certain mission that was in his heart and I want to say to you God knows each one of us in the same way knows how he can use us for his honor and his glory some would say well preacher well I'm not like so and so you're not supposed to be I watch sometimes young preachers come out of a certain college and they'll get up and preach and you can look at them and tell what college they went to. You can tell by their gestures. You can tell by the way they hold their head. You, you can tell by the way they dress. You can say, well, I know where he went. They're trying to be like the one. That, and, and I'm not against that and I'm not putting off on that. I'm just saying that's not what God intended. He intended me to be me. He made me for a certain way. He knows all about me. He knew me when I was formed in my mother's womb. You say, well, preacher, I don't know if I'm fit. I don't know if I'm able. If God put it on you, if God put you in the ministry, if God placed you, then you're able or he wouldn't have put you there his work is more personal than we think it is I don't have to be like my brother Kelly was my hero brother Billy Kelly I miss him I think about him all the time but I, I don't have to be like him to be used of God if I just if I just surrender to the Lord let him have me let him have my life just say Lord take me as our singer sang to be more like him if I just let him have my life, he'll use me. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. All of us have areas in our lives where we're not what we ought to be. But thank God, God loves us enough and has enough grace and enough mercy that he can put us somewhere and use us for his honor and glory. His work is more personal than we think it is. God's nets are not all the same. They're not all made the same. They're not all meshed the same. They're not all put in the same place. But they're all useful. God can use you in ways he cannot use me. And perhaps he could use me in ways that he cannot use you if I'll just be where God wants me to be, do what God would want me to do. His work is more personal than we think it is. And then there's something else here. I got hung up when I read this passage. Here's what happened. A young preacher called me and he said, Preacher, I got a question about this passage. And his question was about this passage, not about what I'm preaching on. But after I got thinking about it, trying to help him find an answer, I got to thinking about some of these other things. And I got hung up in this 7,000. 7,000. 
thousand. I, I, I never did like math. I was terrible at math when I was in school. I'm still terrible at math. When the girls sell books and things, they don't let me do the tape table because I can't make change right. Especially if somebody's got some weird idea about what change they want back. I was one time I was in a place and this lady, they'd gone down to eat and this lady said, I'd like to buy a CD and a book. And uh, with great trepidation, I went to the book table and when we got, she went to give me the money. She had some formula she wanted for change. And I'm telling you, that's been several years. I still don't know if I cheated her or she cheated me. I'm not good at math. I still don't know anything. And I never did pay much attention to it. I should have. But I like these numbers in the Bible. And I like this number seven. We just keep coming across it and coming across it and coming across it. It's one of, it seems to be one of God's favorite numbers in the Bible. And symbolically, it's the number of perfect, uh, perfection and the number of completion. Now, I want you to think about Elijah. God used the number 7,000. Were there actually 7,000? I think there were. That's the number God used. I read some of these commentators and they say, well, uh, God didn't mean this and God didn't mean that. I always just kind of figured God said what he meant and meant what he said. And, but he uses this number seven, and seven the number of perfection and completion. I want you to think about what Elijah has said. Elijah said, they've thrown down thine altars, they've killed thy prophets. He said, I only am left, and they seek my life. Now, you know what he sounds like? He sounds like he thinks his ministry has been a failure. He sounds to me like everything he's done has been in vain and been for naught. You ever feel that way? You ever look at what you've done and where you've been and think, man, I could have stayed at that old job and accomplished more than this. Maybe Elijah's thinking, you know, I could have stayed where I was before God called me and I could have got a lot more done and accomplished more and been happier than what I am right now. Sometime I've known preachers who said, you know, I'm just going to quit. I don't see anything happening. I'm just going to go back. But listen to what God said. Elijah, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal and they haven't kissed his hand. Now here's my question. Where'd them 7,000 come from? How come there's 7,000 in Israel who've not bowed the knee? I'll tell you why. Because there was a prophet in Israel named Elijah who stood for God and he might not have always seen what was accomplished by his work. He might not always seen an altar full of people. He might not always seen. He's not even aware perhaps of these 7,000. But God said, I want to tell you something, Elijah. Your ministry's not in vain. Your work's not been in vain. I've got 7,000. How come? Because there was a faithful witness. A faithful witness. See, that number seven tells me that his work is more profitable than we sometimes think it is. I, I, was, I brought this book up here. I found this book back in the office. It was on the table. I, I was really interested because it's half price. But actually, I picked it up because I read it. I read it, I don't know, I don't know 15, 20 years ago I read, maybe longer than that I read this book of Darlene Dobler Rose. She was a missionary, Darlene Dibler, in Asia at the beginning of the Second World War. She was captured, her and her husband, by the Japanese, and they separated them. She never saw her husband again. They put her in a prison camp, Japanese prison camp. A fellow named Yamaji was the man, the commandant over. He's a man of a terrible temper. She would come into his presence. She was required to bow She would forget to bow. He would come back and beat her with a cane. 
she was she was subject to all sorts of privations and starvation and all sorts of things and that went on for four years in that camp. Her husband died in another camp. She never saw him again. I've read several things in there about the miraculous things that God did for her, but always that commandant so hard on her and always uh, always uh, beating her whenever chance he got and the women that were in that compound treating them as slaves and treating them in an awful way. But she always trusted God. She stayed faithful to the Lord through those four years. Even the day when one lady came and told her that they had news that her husband had died, brought her a hand-drawn picture of his grave and that was all she had the the allies came and rescued her and the war was over and they took her out of that place she remarried one day she was talking to a a minister and that minister had been in Japan and he'd been on a bike ride he was riding down the road and he came to a little bike shop and he went in And there was a man there running that shop. He began to talk to that man. The man's name was Yamaji. He began to talk to him, and in the course of the conversation, he discovered that he'd been the commandant of that camp. Mr. Yamaji heard that this man was a Christian. He said to him, Do you ever, have you ever seen any of the women that were in my camp? And the man said, I. I don't know that I've ever met any of them personally. He said, if you ever see them, would you tell them that I'm sorry and that I am a different man than I was then? Not long after that, Darlene Dibler Rose heard him on a radio professing Christ and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for four years, he had tortured her and beaten her and starved her. And she tried every way she could. And it seemed to be in vain. But I'm going to tell you, God is bigger. He is bigger. He got a hold of that man. I, I cannot tell you the times in my life when I thought I, nothing is being accomplished and nothing's going on and, and it just seems like it'd be better to throw in the towel and go and do something else and then someone will step up and say, Preacher McBride, I just want to remind you of this one service where I was in and God really helped me. I want to remind you of when you spoke to me one day in the hallway. I want to remind you of this. You know what? I find out God's bigger than I am, that God's work is more productive than I think it is. Can I say to you, dear Christian, friend, especially dear preacher friend, don't quit. Don't lay down your sword. Don't look around at what you can see and say, well, nothing's going on. You don't see what God sees. There may be 7,000 silent uh, productions and fruit of your ministry. You don't know about it, but God knows. Just be faithful and go on. Then let me say this. Not only that word seven, but that word thousand. Seven thousand. That's another word we'll find often in the Bible. And I was looking at it and I thought about this. I find that God's work is more powerful than we think it is. Our God is more powerful than we think he is. Say, preacher, why would you say that in reference to the number thousand? Well, because I find when I think of the number thousand that God is unfazed by the extent of time. Remember what Peter said? A day, (laughs) a day is with the Lord 
as a thousand. Now you think about it, sometimes we are impatient and we want to see something happen and we want to see the fruit of our labor and we say, Lord, when am I going to see this? Well, just remember, there is a God at work who is not bounded by time. You and I are bound by time, but time don't bother him. He is perfectly patient. He's got plenty of time. He doesn't even dwell in time. He dwells in eternity. And one day is the same as the next with him. So let's just be patient until God uh, decides to show us what we need to see. He's unfazed by the expanse of time because one day is as a thousand in the sight of the Lord. He's unfazed by the extent of the enemy because a thousand enemies are as one to him. The Bible said in Joshua 23, 10, one of, one of you, one man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he is it that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. You and I look at the enemy and we're surrounded and say there are thousands, there's a multitude. God said it's like one man to me. It doesn't matter whether it's one. It doesn't matter whether it's a multitude. It doesn't matter whether it's a thousand. It's like one man to me. When God fights our battles for us, it matters not the size of the enemy. Then let me say he is unfazed by the enormity of our requests. I was looking at this number thousand and I came across these verses. I had never really noticed them before. I've read them before, but I'd never really noticed them. Deuteronomy 1, 10 and 11. Moses said, the Lord your God hath multiplied you. And behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. Now that's a lot of, that's a lot of folks. Moses said, that's what God's done. He's made you like the stars of heaven for multitude. But listen to the next verse. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as ye are. Now you think about that in a minute. Moses just said, God's made you like the stars for multitude but I'm asking him to make you a thousand times more than the stars. That's a pretty big request right there. That's pretty huge right there. I don't know how many stars there are. Somebody in here may know that. Somebody, I don't know if anybody knows how many there are. I'm sure there's guesstimates at how many there are and estimates, and I'm sure there's some astronomer that could tell me. I don't know how many stars there are, but I'm going to tell you on a clear night in Bean Blossom, Indiana, you look up in the sky, you can see a lot of stars. There, can I tell you this? I don't know how many they are, but there's a mess of them. There's a mess of stars in that sky. And I like to get in a place. We'll go up north and go fishing sometime where I used to pasture right on the, not too far from the Canadian border. You get up there and on a clear night, man, there's so many stars in the heaven. I don't know how you could ever count them. And so Moses just casually says, I'll tell you what I'm going to ask the Lord to do. I'm going to ask him to make you a thousand times more than the stars that are in the heaven. You say, preacher, I got a big request. Well, is it any bigger than making Israel a thousand times more than the stars of heaven? You say, preacher, I got a big need. Well, is it any bigger than, than the God of Israel making Israel a thousand times more than the stars in heaven? I don't guess I ever had a need that big. I guess if God, and Moses didn't seem to think that it was too much to ask of God. He didn't say, well, I don't know if God could do this. I don't know if he'd even be willing. He didn't say that. He said, here's what I'm asking God to do. Make you bigger a thousand times more than the stars of heaven. I don't think I have a request that big. You know what I think? I think whatever I need, God is able to meet that need. And then let me say to you, he is unfazed by the efforts of the devil. Because when I think of this number thousand, I'm reminded there's going to come a day 
when the Lord's going to take him by the nape of the neck and put him in jail for a thousand years. I remember one year we was preaching in Virginia. Well, actually, it was before I was preaching. We were singing. There was a fellow up preaching. He said, I tell you, and of course, you know my family, the Pitt family. He said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, that day when God takes the devil and puts him in the pit for a thousand years, said, I'm going to get the Pitt family, and we're going to gather around the mouth of that pit, and we're going to sing, you're in the jailhouse now. I don't know if that'll happen or not. But I'm going to tell you this. He's unfazed by our enemy. You say, well, preacher, the devil's shrewd. God is shrewder. You say, the devil's powerful. God is more powerful. You say, the devil's busy. God is busier. (laughs) So how much busier? Oh, I'd say about 7,000 times busier than the devil is. That's about how big. You say, how much more powerful is it? Oh, about 7,000 times more powerful. You say, how much much more intelligent is it? Oh, at least 7,000 times more intelligent. I'm just telling you, friend, he's 7,000 times at least better than we thought he was. So you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll just serve him. I think I'll just trust him. Hey, if you're a helpless sinner, he's got more mercy than you thought he had. You're lost in your sin on your way to hell, and you say, preacher, nobody help me. No, 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 he's got more mercy than you think he has. He's got enough. It endureth forever. It's not just 7,000 times more than you think. It's mercy that's higher than the heavens and that endureth to all generations. And if you're a Christian, a servant, and you got a battle to fight and a need to be met, I'm going to tell you, he's got more provision than you ever thought possible. And if you're suffering under some sort of trouble, I want to remind you, that he's got more comfort than you ever dreamed possible. He is at least, at the very least, 7,000 times better than what we thought he was.